0: Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy
1: the show. Andrew Talks to Chefs is brought to you in part by San Pellegrino Sparkling Natural Mineral Water. For more than 120 years, San Pellegrino has been inspiring people to savor life and tasteful moments around the table. As chefs and restaurants have evolved worldwide, Sam Pellegrino has always been there to complement the food they serve, the moments they create, and to support them in both good and challenging times. Learn more at sampellegrino.com. I'm Massimo
2: Bottura.
0: This is Amanda Cohen.
1: This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Kurt Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Misty Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. Today in the first of a special series presented by Sam Pellegrino, Eric Williams and Demar Brown of Chicago's Virtue Restaurant discuss the industry tradition of mentorship in a panel discussion recorded live at the Philly Chef Conference last month. That's coming right up on Andrew Talks to Chefs. It's gonna take a Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. I hope all of you out there are doing well. I am pretty excited about today's episode of The Pod because it weaves together several things about the show and the industry that I just love. This will be the first in a series of special conversations presented by our promotional partner, Sam Pellegrino, on the subject of mentorship in the restaurant industry. Now, as industry listeners know, one of the unique and storied traditions of the restaurant realm is mentorship and the idea that a relationship with one or more chefs might last well beyond the term of employment, maybe even for an entire adult lifetime. We're going to be exploring that subject in a series that will take place over the remainder of 2023 at a variety of cities across the United States. The one we are sharing today was recorded live at the Philly Chef Conference, an event that I really love. As anyone who listens to the show knows, I often do interviews there and special reports from the conference, Uh, and that event took place last month. When I say that this episode and this series weave together several things about the show that are dear to me, I mean, first of all, that it looks at a subject that I find quite moving and endearing, and I find it to be a counterpoint to all of the negative depictions of the industry that have been proliferating in the media over the last few years. Longtime listeners also know that I absolutely love doing interviews and panel discussions live before an audience. That is something obviously that wasn't possible during COVID. So I'm very grateful to Sam Pellegrino for bringing that back into my life. And that's the other thing I love about it. It's a chance to expand our relationship with a brand that has been so supportive to this podcast and to me personally, and in many ways is the reason why the show is still on the air and We'll keep going, hopefully, for many years to come. Finally, in the case of this episode, I was delighted and honored to share the stage with my dear friend, Eric Williams. He and I actually trace our friendship back to time we spent together at the Philly Chef Conference in 2020, virtually on the eve of the pandemic lockdown, and also to share the stage with DeMar Brown, who I've gotten to know a bit over the last few years and who I like and respect a whole lot, And he's also a damn fine chef. Before we get to it, just a little background. And much of this is touched on in the conversation, but just to orient all of you, Eric is the chef and co-owner of Virtue Restaurant in Chicago. DeMar is the chef de cuisine of the restaurant. And many of you may also know him from his recent appearance on Top Chef. Before Virtue, Eric spent many years at MK Restaurant, several of them as chef de cuisine, and DeMar's first post-cooking school gig was at MK, where his mentee-mentor relationship with Eric began. A quick note about how I edited the show. When we get to the q and I shortened some of the questions because I myself repeat them after they are asked, as the audience members weren't miked, so are a little difficult to hear. And I think that'll all make sense when you get to that as well. I really don't think I need to say anything else about it. I'm eager for you to hear it. So with that, let's get to my conversation on the subject of mentorship with Eric Williams and Damar Brown. This next panel is being sponsored by Pellegrino, a long-standing commitment to the culinary community and mentorship, a perfect panel that we have repeat people. Eric Williams coming in from Hyde Park, Chicago, DeMar Brown, Andrew Friedman. This is going to be a great panel about mentorship and how we're moving forward in the world. And I'm not going to take any more time because they got a lot to say. Thank you, Paul. I don't know if anybody's done this yet today, but can we just have a round of applause for Paul and Mike Trout and the team? I, th- I think this is my maybe my sixth time here. Eric, I know you've been here at least once before, but I, I love coming back to this event. We are going to have a conversation about mentorship. You know, for me, as someone who covers the industry, I just remember at some point noticing, you know, talking to a full-grown adult chef, maybe someone in their 40s or 50s, and they would refer to some other chef as their chef. You know, and this, these are often people who owned one or more restaurants. And I was like, what does that mean exactly? And then I finally realized that a lot of people in this industry, you know, obviously, whoever you're working for, you're going to call them chef at that time. But then there's this notion of kind of your lifetime chef, your lifetime mentor. I think it's a really beautiful thing about the industry. Everyone here probably knows it's very normal. I don't even think it's uncommon. I think it's the norm. I guess what I wanted to ask first today, and Damar, maybe let's start with you. When did you first become aware of this aspect of the industry? You know, that there was something that went beyond a job and and a chef, aspiring chef relationship that maybe would last beyond the confines of a job?
0: So to go back, I've been working with Chef for 13 years, um, which is pretty much all of my life. So I think at the time I was working at MK Restaurant, didn't know much about the industry. When I started to notice that I was doing things that wasn't necessarily in my job description, right? Like, so I would do things like painting walls and, you know, we would be carrying furniture in apartments and things, and it was just things that were outside of the norm, right? And I noticed that Chef would do things with me or help me with things like how to negotiate a better price on a a phone bill or just doing personal things with me. So I noticed over a period of time that it wasn't so much professional and it got really personal. So over years, it just kind of bloomed into, oh, this is more than my boss or my chef, right? He's a friend, he's family. And I think that just kind of grew organically over a lot of years.
1: Eric, same question for you. When did you first become aware of this aspect of the industry and and who was that person for you?
2: For me, it was Michael Cornick. And I didn't imagine being in the space that I was in, but it was very intentional on the side of my chef, which made it very intentional for me as it related to Damara's development. And I remember two things that that stood out in my head that were a bit unorthodox for being in restaurants, especially with all of the negative things that we hear about restaurants and, and chef relationships these days. One of the sous chefs in the restaurant got arrested and it was an extremely busy night. And I was watching my chef in this kind of like space of turmoil as he was negotiating, expediting the line, making sure that the quality of the food was leaving the kitchen in the manner in which it should and how he was gonna get this dude out of jail before morning. And it was a rough service, right? Because he was distracted. And the guy was at work the next day. Immediately I said, man, if this dude is this committed to his team, like this is the guy I wanna work with. I had no idea that would be 18, years. And I had the opportunity to borrow money to buy my first house from that job. I had many struggles in my life that the restaurant supported. And I mean, it was like the restaurant, like the entire team supported me in some of my darkest moments. And I felt that that was what community was like that. That's what a restaurant should be. If you're going to commit the amount of hours that we committed to a space. And in all fairness to the topic of, of Demar painting walls, we really believe in, in this Mr. Miyagi approach to training. So we, that was
1: actually for the sake of knife skills. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely.
2: Like, we, we are the wax on, wax off crew. But we will kick some ass at the end of the day. And so um, that being stated, we, we took a lot of unorthodox approaches and training to help people identify things like attention to detail, commitment to a thing finishing a job, seeing it through. And it also helps when you're able to buy a home to know how to paint a wall. Eric, stay with you for a second, do you consider this part
1: of the role of a chef? You know, there's been a lot of talk in the last several years, not just in the culinary world, but in all professions about narrowing the, the, the definition of what's expected from people. There's been a lot of talk about let's stop talking about A restaurant team is a family. You know, a lot of people during COVID started to feel like that wasn't really an accurate thing in a lot of places. How essential do you consider this aspect of being a chef to the just to the role of chef? Do you consider it part and parcel as much as you do, you know, designing a menu and and, uh, running the restaurant?
2: Well, I think it has a lot to do with what the environment dictates. If we were in an environment where our only aspiration was winning awards, then there's not as much space for family. There's a lot more space for a very definitive type of rigor that focuses on a different kind of attention to detail. I worked in a space that upon applying to the space, it was stated to me by the owner that I want to have a restaurant that's not just in the community, but a part of the community. You can't make a statement like that to me and then think I'm not going to hold you to it. And they allowed me to hold them to that standard. And so the team that was created, in that restaurant that wanted to be a part of the community became the core of the community it itself. People, as we think about what restaurants mean to us, everything from proposals to divorces, as a matter of fact, bridging the gap between rivalry, sitting uncomfortably with in-laws. I mean, I'm sure everybody here that that's married loves their in-laws, but there are people who actually go to dinner who aren't crazy about their lover's parents. And so that being stated, we stand kind of, you know, as a bridge to gap all these awkward spaces. And interestingly enough, most chefs are awkward. So we're tasked with a job that we're not even good at in our own social life. And so for me, there's a need there. So how do I begin to create a bridge in my own relationships? How do I begin to create a platform that allows people that look like me, that allows people that talk like me or people who cook like me, to feel comfortable in their own space. And when you look at that as the standard, then it has to be community, because I'm not equipped to do that by myself. So there are times when DeMar takes on an assignment with a particular person. There are times when I have to get more involved with a particular person. And as we saw through the pandemic, the needs are becoming greater. Do I think that that's the role of a chef? Well, if we equate chef in in its common form as chief, and or leader, we would expect that from our leaders. If you equate chef as someone who can run, you know, a three-star restaurant and someone who is striving every day to be more innovative or create the next wave or trend in food, maybe that's not the standard. And maybe that's not the expectation from the cook. But I can tell you that everybody that walks through our doors, whether it's a customer and or a team member or potential team member, expects us to lead.
1: I would love because I think it's instructive on this subject to talk about what I think of as the three stages of, of the relationship between you two. So can we talk first about DeMar about you come into MK,
0: you're an aspiring
1: cook, you've kind of decided this is what you want to do. What were just early days there like? What was your relationship with Eric like early on?
0: <laughs> you know, it was difficult. When I was in culinary school, you had to find this externship. And so I decided I want to work for a black chef. I uh, had the time in Chicago, I think it was 2010. I tried to get a job at Seahouse. That was Mark Samson's restaurant at the time. I might have an experience to get in the door. So I knocked on MK's door. He told me about Eric Williams. I was talking today, I'm sous chef. And I said all the things underqualified cooks would say, I'll work for free, I'll wash dishes, whatever. I just want a job. Um, and as I was talking to him, Chef came up in his white, you know, Chef coat, MK emblems, said Eric Williams. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, I've, I've never really seen this before in person. So in that moment, I felt like my dreams became tangible. And I knew I needed to work there. So they hired me. By hire, I mean they let me work for three months for free. <laughs> um, and I was terrified each day, right? Like, Chef's a nice guy and all, but, you know, there's the other side of him, too. But, you know, I, I, I showed up. And it was just kind of the thing where you knock your head against the wall every day and just kind of try to figure it out. And back then it was really old school, right? Like, so there was you know, chef who gave you directions, then you had sous chefs, right? Then you had cooks who had been there for years. Even the servers, right, were kind of bust you up a little bit. So it was a lot of, oversight and direction in my development, like the whole team kind of took a part in how I was moving forward. And that didn't feel good a lot of days, but it was very beneficial.
1: Eric, how about for you? You know, you have in, the, in this in your industry, right? People come and go all the time. Uh, some of them show more uh, potential, at least, you know, in a chef's eyes than others. Do you remember when, you know, you first kind of thought Damar was kind of worth, you know, a little, maybe a little bit more of your time, a little bit more of your attention, a little bit more of your thought, you know, somebody that you wanted to really help out.
2: You know, DeMar is much better with time than I am. I mean, obviously the proof is in the pudding. At some point there was a transition. But what I really remember is how much time my sous chefs invested in him being in a good spot as it related to the team. And we joke about it. DeMar is very, very concise and he's very thorough, but back then he wasn't very efficient. And so we took turns quite literally, working towards his development. And he would push one of us to the edge, and then the next person would get in and advocate on his behalf. Um, So it was like he was in a house with a bunch of big brothers. And then later, as my sous chef transitioned out, my pastry chef, who was a force at the time, then became his big sister. So he went through a lot of phases, and that gave me a lot of room to be in the moment, be present at very particular times, and then be out of the moment. But he's not joking. It was really intense.
1: Okay. So phase two, as I think about it, you leave MK. MK closes. Over a period of time, you two continue to be in touch. Was that something, and Merrick? maybe let's start with you this time, but was that just something that it was, never, it was never in doubt? Was that just something that kind of flowed naturally from how seven years together in the restaurant? And what kind of things did you two talk about over that time? Like, did DeMar come to you for, you know, counsel on where should I go cook next? Or... Um, Should I leave this job where I am? We don't have to name names, but, you know, should I leave this job where I am now? You know, this kind of thing. What kind of stuff did you guys stay in touch on?
2: I work really hard with people on our team, and, and most specifically in this case, DeMar. I was working with him a lot on his confidence, and we still talk about it. I think many of us, as we achieve more successes in our life, become nervous about the next steps. We want the next step but there's always the question of what if so we spent a lot of time talking about confidence and approach and technique and method that was actually the fun part for me in our relationship i I probably had more fun in those two years concentrated than i did any of the years prior because i had nothing to lose it wasn't my reputation in the restaurant if something went wrong they weren't gonna identify that, oh boy, one of the cooks made a mistake or a sous chef made an error, right? It was, it was me. Now, it was Andrew Brochu, and I got to kind of be in the background and work with Damar, and at the time I was actually working with Brochu on some leadership stuff. As a friend, I don't really see it as much as a mentor, but you know, we, we all talked about specific things as it related to Damar, and I worked really, really hard not to blur those, those lines. Yes, there were some calls and there weren't just calls from DeMar. There were calls from every person that's on my leadership team now at Virtue and some others. Um, I worked really hard to place because after DeMar left, how long was it before MK closed?
0: It was less than a year, I believe.
2: Right. So uh, less than a year later, we closed the restaurant. Um, So we worked really diligently to make sure that our team members got placed in places that shared a similar culture and that they could get paid more than they got paid at MK based on their qualifications. So I advocated on their behalf. And so that's pretty much how that played out.
1: Damar, anything you would add to that about that period of time? Things you would maybe ring up or text or email Eric about like for, just for advice from someone who, you know, you'd spent seven years under their wing in some respects?
0: Well, to back up just a little bit. So before I left MK, I was going to take other jobs, other places. Several times, probably about four times. And Chef said no. So I said, hey, Chef, I'm looking at this place, I'm thinking about going over there and go, no. Go, okay, yes, Chef, that's what what you do. So after several times, then finally he said, you should go work with Andrew Broshu." So transferring into Royster, which is part of the Linear Group, you know, MK was competitive and everything, but like Linear Group was like, different right so the culture was different the kitchen was different the cooks right were very different um so i had a hard time initially kind of settling in figuring out my space i came in as a sous chef which is they usually promote from within so it was kind of like who's this guy so i had to talk to him a lot about approach how to attack certain things uh when to speak up when to be quiet so we talked probably twice a week um so i called him quite a bit
1: I, I just have to ask, you know, you just you know, said there were four times I was going to leave and, you know, Chef told me, no, I've heard a million stories like that. You know, again, there's a lot of talk now about how the industry functions. I, I think there are probably people who would hear that and say, whoa, that seems like, you know, you weren't free to leave. You know what I mean? Like, how, do, how did it feel at the time? Do you, do, do you think that's, I mean, and just so I'm clear, I, I totally get it. It seems yeah. totally normal to me. But I do think there are people probably who hear that and, and, and wonder about that.
0: Well, for me, I think if we're talking about mentorship, it's a committed relationship, right? And on a mentee's part, there's a lot of trust. So I'm trusting that, all right, I don't get it, but he must know what he's talking about. Um, so all four of those restaurants that I want to work with, probably within a year or two years out, they closed. And Chef would kind of be like, yeah, right? <laughs> um, So there's moments like that throughout my life where I just kind of I didn't see the big picture, as you would call it. And I would just have to trust that he knew what he was talking about. So it worked out. Thank you for that.
1: Okay, so Virtue opens. uh, You get the band back together, including Demar. Demar, you're the chef de cuisine at the restaurant. This is something that even outside of the notion of, you know, mentorship, I'm always interested in this. And I'm just wondering how you two went about calibrating it and how it's changed over the years since the restaurant opened. Um, you know, the way I usually put it is, where does the executive chef end and where does the chef de cuisine begin? You know, how does dish ideation happen? Who decides when something, maybe it's time to take something off the menu or bring something back on the menu? Can you just, Eric, how, let's go with you. How do
2: you? How? Uh, you definitely want him to start this. Okay. <laughs>
1: Damar, what's the dance there? How do you two work that stuff out? And and creatively, how do you go about collaborating, you know, on, on dishes if you do?
0: I think initially, so the restaurant opened in November 2018. At that time, I was still a Royster. I was working there on my days off. So I started full-time in December. So the menu was already set. So we would work through things, and you know, Hyde Park is a neighborhood, right? It's part of Chicago, but it's a neighborhood, it's a community. And he wanted to make sure that the food was approachable, and that it followed the story, right? You know, I came in like, yeah, let's do this, and I'm fired up, right? He's like, ah. It kind of went from this space where we had the reins on me, right? Um, We would collaborate pretty heavy, and then he kind of started loosening up on certain things. As the community began to trust us more, and we could try different things, right, that weren't as familiar to some people. And I think now, you know, Chef travels a lot. He'll send me pictures of things he's eating, right, and be like, look at this, right? Or things he's excited about. He just You know went to africa and brought back all these peppercorns right and now we're cooking okra 22 ways so we kind of work through things like that but it's very collaborative and i kind of get to you know it's very seasonal restaurant we know we're changing everything every two and a half months and we do tastings and we work together that way there are certain things that are his dishes that never really change but you know those things are are kind of the virtue classics by this point thank you anything you would add to that
2: i would back up first before I talk about collaboration, just for the sake of clarity. So DeMar um, was tasked to going to New York to stash And we called as many favors as we could to chef friends um, to make sure that he was at places that had a bit of rigor, but also places that we felt like would probably blow his mind. He needed a reset. And this was the first time DeMar heard no. He goes to New York. We want him to get energized. We want him to come back inspired. Um, because we're looking at how we're gonna expand the menu and, and how he can become more involved. And he decided when he got back that he wanted to go back to New York. He wanted to move to New York and work at one of the restaurants that we sent him a massage to after we sent him to New York to get inspired. He was so inspired that he wanted to go work for one of my friends. So the answer was, hell no. Are you out of your mind, right? We want a return on investment. And so um, that's how some of those moments went. It wasn't just me plotting another restaurant operator's failure. I had the luxury of working with a chef who taught me numbers. I actually learned how to run the restaurant before I learned how to cook. So, so my training's a little different. And so it was important if guys left our space that they had a, a really clear understanding of if the re- restaurant was stable enough for them to go. We weren't, we weren't trying to figure out how to go and be offered X amount of money and then never achieve the goal because the restaurant closed before you ever got a chance to really you know, um, become you know tethered to the space. As it relates to food, I worked as a sous chef under a couple of chefs that worked for Wolfgang Puck. And I would hear these stories of how Wolfgang would come in with truffles the size of softballs. And you know the truffles weren't that big, but once you tell a story of a few years, the truffles just keep growing. And he would just walk in and drop them off. Right. And the task was you had to cook that truffle before it went bad. So you had to think about what you could do with it. You had to also respect the ingredient. So you couldn't just start experimenting with it. You had to think about the process. You had to think about what had been done. And then you had to think about how you were going to put your own DNA on that ingredient. And so I romanticized that idea for a very long time. And then once Chef became my CDC, then I started to think about how that part of our relationship could come to life. How could we look at an object or a particular item and think about you know what that could be? And with a lot of his expression in that particular ingredient. Sometimes I'll say, hey, um, I need you to make these three things. And then we'll work through a dish that way. Other times, we'll start from scratch. Um, many times, he will have an idea, and he will just make three things, and then it'll build into something. So we take a couple of different approaches, many different approaches to getting to the same space. But the most important part is is I'm really, really happy with the the progress that he's made in the restaurant as it relates to him identifying his food and what that culture means to him on the plate.
1: Can somebody ask for mentorship? The reason I ask the question is, not, not someone who's a cook, but a friend of mine who's a restaurateur in New York, reached out once to one of the most successful restaurateurs in the country. And said, "Hey, I'm struggling a little. My company's growing. I, I never really had someone that I worked for. Would you be my mentor?" I've had a few people ask me if I would do that for them in the in the cookbook world. Is that something that, that a cook has done with either of you? Is that something that you would encourage a cook to take a shot at, or does it seem more like you know a chef's got enough going on under their roof without you know somebody they don't really know asking for that kind of attention and support?
2: I have had that happen to me multiple times. The answer is no, always no. Generally, um, mentorship with me happens organically. So there's a situation that comes up in a relationship with a chef colleague or some cases it's someone mentoring me um, or a cook and, and we manage space on the spot. I don't usually have in-depth conversations with people I don't trust and mentorship is just advisory by someone who's trusted but yeah i got enough going on under my roof right and we're trying to expand and it's unfair to the team if i'm helping someone else build a house down the street and we're building so i don't generally mentor actually in the restaurant what i do is develop which has more to do with building and growing maturation so that the questions don't have to be asked as much and you have enough experience to be able to make those decisions on your own independent of and then I just become a sounding board, which is a little bit different than mentoring. People that I end up mentoring, I end up mentoring in very short stints, and again, they're usually they're usually friends, and it's usually uh, mentorship of a particular situation. You call me and you say, hey, I'm in this jam, have you ever experienced this before? And then we will work through how you got in that jam, we'll work through how you can avoid the jam in the future, and then we will work through how you get to your goals. And as you know as a friend, that usually happens in my friendships. What advice do I give to young cooks that are looking for mentorship? Find someone that you admire and work under their tutelage. And you won't have to ask for the mentorship. It happens naturally. right? Any, any chef, any leader worth their salt is going to pour into you because as much as they give you a check, they also are teaching every single day. Anything
1: you would add to that, DeMar, or have people reached out to you at this point in your career?
0: They have, and I'm always happy to send quick words of support, but as you said, I think it's more of an organic situation where you seek out the people you wanna be around, you do the work, and then that follows.
1: Is this spoken? Is, is, Is mentorship something that's ever spoken? Like, people will refer to their mentor all the time. I'm unaware of a moment where somebody is, said to someone, I consider you my mentor now, or, or the mentor has said to someone, like, I'm now your, it, it it seems like a completely organic thing.
2: Is that accurate? It is a completely organic thing, but, but it's written about a lot, because I think journalists want to understand it a little bit better as it relates to the restaurant industry, and maybe even more now after, you know, um, all of the backlash for treatment in restaurants. Again, I do think that it, A relationship has to be built. Like, how how, how does somebody random mentor you? I mean, if the definition is trusted advisor, how the hell do I just start trusting strangers? My mother taught me not to talk to strangers, right? I don't take candy from strangers. So why am I trusting them with my life decisions? That makes no sense to me, right? I know Instagram has plenty of antidotes on how to live life, right? But they all happen in like 30 seconds, and my life's a lot longer than that. So I, I don't know how that works.
1: Yeah, well that's also a one-way street, right? You just read it and you move on.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh, a I have some hands going up? I a question. I do have a question. Oh, great. Um, I love that you said, hi, I'm Jenny from Tillett, and, um, and I think about this a lot with our team and with chefs that we work with, and I love that you talked about how you had some of the financial mentoring, and that helped you become from chef to owner. And I'm wondering how that works in your restaurant. How do you recommend to your team to get the financial
0: literacy to then move into some kind
1: of pathway. I'm just going to repeat that only because yeah, we're, re- no, 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 we're actually recording this. It's going to be broadcast. Um, not like on television, it's going to be on my podcast, but um, <laughs> don't get too excited. You know, we're not doing a live album. Uh, but the question was, you alluded to having some financial mentorship as you were kind of growing in the business and, and thinking about starting to, you know, be off on your own at some point and all of that. What kind of advice do you give along those lines to people For how to obtain that kind of information
2: in order to answer that accurately i'll give you a little bit of background my chef was driven not just by his passion for food he openly explained to many of us that his father filed bankruptcy multiple times Um, so he was very very careful with the money and in restaurants the one perishable good is food Um, and it's the one thing that takes a lot of processes to get it in the restaurants So we start with food. The second thing that we talk a lot about is this idea, and you being a woman um, clearly recognize this, is minorities and women are still not paid at the same rate of their white male counterparts. And so we identify value. We start with food as inventory, and then we identify value. And once we can establish how you manage inventory and then establish value, Now we've already set the groundwork to start to talk about what equity is. And I'm not talking about the equity we've been listening to for the past three years about equity and inclusion. I mean equity as invested interest, equity in your home, like dollars that you've paid that can get traded in for a loan or to open a business, right, equity. And so we start to discuss what equity means. And then that topic takes us into a space that allows us to think about if you're gonna work at a place for 10 years and pour your blood, sweat, and tears in it, then maybe it's time for you to get off of a bonus and start to talk about some some sort of profit sharing, right? And, and then find the money, right? Compel the owners to pay you based on foul money. Maybe we're wasting money on paperclips. It sounds like a really mundane thing, but restaurants waste money on all kinds of things, focusing on something else. We will be the most sustainable, like limited footprint on earth and throw away a million sharpies every shift, right? Every cow has been massaged carefully. Every microgreen has been tucked away in its own little space and named. And then we'll throw every damn thing else away in a restaurant. It's, it's like bizarre because we forget it's a business and we get focused on it being a restaurant. And so that is an abbreviated way of how I, how I discuss with my team. And I think the last thing which DeMar has experienced and he can chime in on this, um, we talk a lot about home ownership. We don't believe in leasing life, right? You can lease a car, you can lease your clothes, you can rent your clothes if you want to, right? Because now we can rent wedding dresses and so on and so forth and tuxedos. But at some point you have to own space because if you want to grow financially, ownership is the way to grow financially and the questionnaire at the bank is long enough for you to have questions with anybody at the end of trying to figure that shit out. Any other questions? <laughs> yes. What advice or ideas do you have for folks that are maybe more mature in their career and then they're looking to try to identify folks that they know and that they interact with to, to strike up a mentorship?
1: So you're a functioning chef, owner, you don't have anyone to go to, maybe you didn't have that mentor figure naturally.
0: What would you-
2: you know, a group of folks within your sphere of influence, and you're trying to figure out well,
0: what are the right folks that I should be reaching out to. Right. And who could you reach out to? I think that's a relationship thing. I don't know if that's called seeking a mentor or something, but, you know, Chef's really good at this. So a few years ago, I think he just decided that he was gonna start reaching out to chefs of color and build relationships with them organically. Um, and I think a lot of you in this room have witnessed that and experienced it. Um, so now there's this network of chefs that trade information openly and talk about numbers openly. Um, and it isn't a situation where you know, anybody's afraid that you're gonna get proprietary information from me. And I think that's a thing like, you know, showing up with something to offer, right? And starting relationships, I think from the space of in a restaurant, when you are talking about mentoring people that are young or just starting off you know, just to focus on a restaurant, you're talking about cooking, things like that, um, but then they grow, right, and maybe they don't need, I don't need to know how to butcher a chicken anymore. Um, but there's other things that you have to grow and continue to talk about. So Chef's really good at this. He sits down with, you know, the managers and say every few months, what are your goals, right? What What do you want to do in the next few years, whether that's career-wise or life-wise? And a few years ago, he sat down with me, he said, what do you, you know want to do in the next few years? And I said, I want to buy a home. And he said, what is your time frame for that? I said two years. I have, you know, this money saved. My credit score is this. I have student loans. I have to pay off for this. And he's very obsessive about things, so I think maybe it took a week. Now, once again, I said my my time frame is two years for this. He sends me a text. I'm sitting on my couch. He sends me this program, and he goes, "Fill this out now." So I'm reading it, and then five minutes later, he calls me. Did you did you fill it out? Did you get my text? And I'm like, I, I'm reading it, chef. Um, so he goes, "Fill it out now." So I fill it out, and He figures out how to help me get into this program, right? Where you can buy your first home, they'll give you a down payment for that home and they'll pay off your student loans. So within me having a goal to buy my first home in two years, I ended up moving in a home in three months. And he constantly does this with these check-ins and he's been at examples. So now we do it, right, with our cooks. So now I go over with cooks, you know, how how to budget, how to save money, how to have a stash account where you could, you know, automatically deposit into whatever stocks are this, right? Um, and I think there are different levels of, okay, I'm trying to buy a home. I'm trying to save this amount of money. I'm trying to move out of this neighborhood. And I think that that is a sustainable situation at Virtue where we're all working on somebody. We all have our, our mentees or our projects that we're constantly pouring into. And by the way, Chef did help me paint that first home. To get <laughs>
1: comes around. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a writer, but I would say maybe in that kind of situation, maybe there's like an opportunity to get some kind of, a, for lack of a better term, a support group um, with peers who like maybe somebody in the same position as this hypothetical person, you know, same point in their life, uh, same point in their career, same point in being a, a business person not everyone has the same experiences, right? And I I think about over time, there have been groups like, you know, there used to be these, back in the day, there were these five French restaurants in LA. The owners of those five restaurants used to get together once a month and just ask each other for advice. And I think that maybe would be something that, you know, someone at that point in their career, does that seem like a reasonable thing, Eric? Does that seem like something
2: someone could do? It seems totally reasonable. I mean, I would, I would. we're not gonna debate semantics, but, I wouldn't say support group. I would just say, you know, extend friendship. Um, We're in the hospitality business, right? And in some cases, we have the least amount of friends. Because if we don't have friends in the space, then our other friends are at the wedding when we're at work. In some cases, you know, we've got a lot of mental health days, sick days, and everything else now, right? We're doing better. But there are still days, especially for owners. Where you just kind of got to be there. Um, and so, how do my friends take that that aren't in this industry? Um, how, how does my family take the fact that, you know, um, for Father's Day, right, half the day I'll be on a plane? And so, it helps when I have friends that I can share that space, space with and start to calibrate how to navigate. And interestingly enough, I got in the car yesterday. I shared an Uber coming here with a rider, and the rider had just flown in, hung out with the kids on spring break, is gonna be traveling again for another week, and here it is, two dads sitting in the back seat of a car. We got 10 minutes, right? It's a quick fire. Go. How in the hell are you gonna manage that shit at home? And I've talked to this person multiple times, but this was the mo- one moment where I needed trusted advisory, right? Because I'm not trying to tear up my home. I'm not trying to tear up relationships with friends. And so I think extending friendship, and that's a two-way street, right? We can't always be the one in need. That's part of the reason why I have a hard time with mentorship, because you've put me in a space where I gotta carry the burden, right? I am the only one contributing information to this, because you have an out. You're the mentee. What could you possibly tell me, right? oh, chef, I'm not as smart as you. I haven't done it as long as you. I'm not as old as you. And it's like, no, hell no, man. I want to grow, too. We could take one more question if there is one. Yes. Hi.
0: This one is for Chef Eric. So how, as a mentor, do you uh,
2: protect your peace after pouring so much of yourself out onto others?
1: How is it, The question is, how, as a mentor, do you protect your peace after pouring so much of yourself out to other people?
2: I tend to um, surround myself or be surrounded by people who are working in similar spaces. You know, the term is stay in your lane. Um, so, just because we're in two different lanes doesn't mean we're not driving to the same destination, right? We all witnesses, to, for many of us that have cars, right, or have ever ridden in one, there are multiple lanes on a highway. And so I don't, I don't try to get in everybody else's lane. I try to figure out what my lane is. I work on it every day. And sometimes I merge. As DeMar says, I'm a little bit obsessive, maybe a lot of bit obsessive about things. The way that I protect my peace is, A, I turn my phone off. I have people that are allies and confidants and friends who will literally, like I'll go to check a message and they'll just gently grab my hand in a conversation. And that's a nice reminder that I need to be present. And I take that instruction. Um, I think one of the great things that I've learned, two of the great things that I've learned, and they go hand in hand about being an adult, is I spent all my time as a kid trying to be an adult. And I did that because I wanted my own independence because I didn't want adults, i.e. my parents, to tell me how to do anything. And as I've grown, I realize I actually want people to tell me how to do some things. I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to reach my full potential at every phase of my life. And so I've also learned that I need permission to do things. I joke with chefs that I think a lot of chefs need permission to make money. We're so obsessed with like the next thing that everybody makes money off of our talent except for us. And we don't have agency. And we need permission, we need someone to say that, hey, you know, you can do this this way, right? We may not accept it the day they say it, but they plant a seed. And so I leave myself open to instruction. That allows me peace because I don't have to have turmoil about things or problems that I can't manage. And I allow myself the time to just stop.
1: We are out of time. And everybody, please join me in thanking Chef Eric Williams, <laughs> Chef DeMar Brown. Thank you to the Philly Chef Conference. Thank you, Sam Pellegrino. And if you have any other questions, find these gentlemen out in the lobby. Thanks. And that's our show for today. Thanks again to Eric Williams and Damar Brown for that conversation. Thanks to the Philly Chef Conference for hosting us. And thank you to Sam Pellegrino for presenting this series on mentorship to our listeners. If you haven't already, I'd love it if you pre-ordered my book, The Dish, coming out this fall. The link for that is in the notes for today's show, wherever you listen to it. Andrew Talks to Chefs is produced by Table 12 Productions. The show is written, booked, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, Andrew Friedman. If you would like to support us, we ask that you do that by telling a friend, posting about the show on social media, and or rating or reviewing us at Apple Podcasts. Our thanks, as always, to After School Special for our music. Please check out their album, Double Barrel, single entendre on iTunes. And please follow us on Instagram. The handle there is at Podcast, And my personal feed is at tokelandandrew, T O Q U E l-a-n-d andrew that's where you can follow my writing dining and social adventures thank you for listening and we will see you back here soon with another episode of andrew talks to chefs